glad that you're here. We're going to be in the book of Matthew again, back to Matthew chapter 17 is where we're going to continue our studies. I hope you've enjoyed crawling through the book of Matthew. It's been very eye-opening, very challenging, and very beneficial to all of us, I hope. And we're not going to stop anytime soon. We're going to keep going. We're going to keep crawling through. It's a... uh, it's always fun to read the Gospels, to see a firsthand account of the memories of these di- disciples and these writers, to see what they experienced every day of their life. Could you imagine living with Jesus every day of your life face-to-face like that? Please don't forget, you actually do. It's not face-to-face, but spirit-to-spirit. You are a follower of Christ. He lives within you. So you have him every single day of your life. It's an amazing, an amazing thought. I agree, Jay, 100%. You ever get caught up in the idea that bigger is better? The more that I have, the bigger it is, then obviously the better it's got to be. I mean, I, I, I think about golf. If I can just hit it a little bit farther, the better I'm going to play. But the reality is sometimes you can hit it too far and it takes you out of the shot that you're comfortable with and forces you to make a shot that you're not comfortable with and the society that we live in constantly bombards us with bigger is always better and even when it comes to our faith sometimes we get caught up in this idea that bigger faith is better faith it's not what if it's not about the size of your faith but what your faith is in. Let that sink in. Because we can have big faith, we can believe big things, but if we're believing in the wrong thing, what does it matter? The size of your faith is important, but it's not the most important thing. It's what your faith is placed in that is the most vital, the most important thing above all other things. We're going to find in a story today that challenges us in what does that look like? What does that feel like? What does that mean? And this passage is a tricky one because if you read it how the world wants us to read it, or maybe how you've heard it before, it's going to seem like that if something doesn't happen that you want, then your faith is worthless. We must be careful with that in our world. But here's the thought that I have for you today. Hopefully it will be something that you can remember and kind of chew on all week. But faith is full surrender. Faith is full surrender. Most of the time, especially with a lot of the tele-evangelists, we hear that faith is just believing that God will give you all that you can think of. If you just have enough faith, then this will get taken care of. If you have enough faith, then this will happen this way. What if that isn't really what it's about? What if it's about faith is about me saying, not my will, but your will be done, and I will be good with whatever your will is. Big difference for me there. That is a massive difference, and it's different than maybe what we hear in the world that we live today and in even some evangelical churches that we know and hear from. Faith is not about getting. 
Faith is about believing and living and surrendering all that we have to a holy God that knows us best and being content with whatever he allows into our life. Now, a little caveat here. It's not always easy. That is really difficult because things take place in our lives that just don't make sense, that we don't have an answer for. And yet faith takes us to a place of, I can surrender my thoughts, my wants, my desires, and what I think should happen to God because he knows what's best. Faith is full surrender. So, let's get into the story. Matthew chapter 17. Hopefully your appetite is a little bit ready for this because it's a good one. So Jesus has just been transfigured. If you remember last week, he went up on the mountain with Peter, James, and John. Had an amazing experience that these guys got to see. They saw uh, Elijah and Moses. And Peter speaks up in in the midst of the moment, not really even knowing what he's saying. But he says, hey, let's build some little tabernacles, some little temples, some little huts for you guys. And God interrupts him and says, hey, stop talking and just listen to my son. And then all of a sudden, it's just them and Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, don't tell anybody about any of this. And now they're coming back down to the other apostles, the other disciples. And here's where we find the story take off in verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, so this this multitude is a large gathering of people. And they have kind of surrounded themselves around the other disciples, the other nine. And Jesus and the other three walk up on this, this gathering. And here's what this gentleman says. He sees Jesus. Obviously, he knows who Jesus is. He recognizes Jesus as someone who can help him. And he kneels before him and he says this. <clears throat> Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not cure him. Now in the Gospel of uh, Luke, I think it is, see that or Mark, the story, it's the Gospel of Mark, his story is told a little bit different. We find that in this multitude of people, there are scribes there. Religious leaders, and they are going back and forth with the multitude and with the disciples, arguing, debating as to why cannot these disciples do what they say they're supposed to do. And it's become a big deal. So much so that this gentleman comes to Jesus and he says, listen, my son has epilepsy. And a lot of times it is believed and and probably very true, that Satan likes to take advantage of things like that. So when this kid is falling out and having these seizures, Satan is positioning him into a place that he could fall into a fire or into water. Or it could be that this young man, as he's doing this, knows that something's going on and he's trying to end his life on his own. Irregardless of those two facts, the reality is this gentleman is fearful for his son. He loves his son so much that he wants Jesus to intervene. doesn't matter what's really happening, but we know that something severe is taking place, both physically and spiritually, which we will find out in just a few moments. And the man's like, I came to your boys. I came to your guys, the guys that say, hey, we can do this. The same guys that were empowered by you, and they couldn't do it. 
Help me out, please. Can you hear the, the angst of the father, the concern of the father? As he's kneeling before the one that he knows can do it. I find it interesting again, we, we found it interesting in our, in our study that this is another person coming to God on the behalf of another. Which reminds us the importance of us praying for others. Jesus answers and says, in front of all of these people, here's what he says. O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I hear with you or bear with you? Bring him, um, excuse me, bring him here to me. So Jesus looks at him and says, seriously? I picture it, he's kind of looking at the disciples and saying, seriously, you, you couldn't do this? Faithless generation. He looks at the multitude who's fussing and fighting over this thing. And he says, you are a perverse generation. How long am I going to have to put up with you guys? How long am I going to have to bear, be patient with you? He says, listen, I'll take care of it. Bring him over here. Just just love him. He goes from what's y'all's problem to I will fix your problem really fast. Jesus rebukes the demon and it came out of him and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus calls this young man over. And in Mark's gospel, we hear how he writhes in front of Jesus. And Jesus kind of pauses watching this take place. It wasn't instantaneous for him to say, you're healed. And he has this conversation with the father. And he simply says, you know, if you just believe this can take place. And the father says the most astounding statement that we'll look at in just a minute. But I want to share it with you. In Mark, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Let that sink in just a little bit. I believe, I know, I came to you, I knelt before you. I'm here because I know you guys have something special going on. I believe that. But there's a portion of me. That I can't make sense of it all. And it's causing me not to believe. So please help me make sense of it all. Can I just ask you a real quick, simple question that I hope you will chew on for a long time? Does that not sound like us? Listen, there's a lot of things that I am confident that I believe in. But from a human perspective, I have zero clue what that means. What that looks like. Why things are happening in the world that they happen. But I believe that God knows. And that God can absolutely handle it. So when I hear this, it takes me back to the prayer that I prayed at the feet of Sally. Not that I was praying to her, but we had just sent our daughter or getting ready to send our daughter off to another hospital right after we had her. And it was a place that I got to of God, I trust you, but you got to help me with this. I know that you're a big God. I know that you love us. I know that you won't put us through anything more than we can handle. But daggone it. I don't understand why you're allowing this into our lives. But I'm going to trust you with it. That to me in that statement in Mark of I believe you and trust you. But you got to help me out here. The disciples. I love how they 
pull him privately away. Because there are times where Jesus addresses everybody and then there are times where he just wants to address smaller groups and individuals. And the disciples have learned this and they pull him aside and they say, Jesus, what happened? You see, back in Matthew chapter 10, he empowered them to do these very things. To heal the sick and to cast out demons. And they missed it. They somehow didn't see what was going on and they were not able to cast or to heal this young man because their expectation was different. What they thought they saw, they did not see. And Jesus says to them, he says, because of your unbelief, now does that mean that they didn't believe in Jesus anymore? No. Did it mean that they didn't believe in their skills? I don't believe that. I believe what Jesus is saying is, you forgot what you knew. You failed to remember that it's not about you, it's about me and what I have given you to do. You tried to do it all by yourself. Now, yes, that's what I empowered you to do. But you can't do it without me. He says, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and I will move and nothing, or excuse me, and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind, he's speaking specifically of what this young man was dealing with, which lets us know it wasn't just epilepsy going on. He says, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, some of your versions may not have fasting in there, but it is implied. But it's the only way to beat certain things in our life is through prayer and fasting, through a certain amount of devotion and dedication to the issue at hand. What a fantastic story. What a story that takes us from where we normally rest and it challenges some of the things that we've always thought or been taught. And if I just have the faith of a mustard seed, that's the smallest seed possible. If I can just have a little bit of faith, I can cast a mountain in the ocean. It's not really what that means. Although God could. Don't forget that. But that'd be weird. And how are we going to explain that to a lot of people that don't believe? Well, it just happened. Luck with that. So let's talk about this story just a little bit. Let's, let's pick this apart and see what we've got. Because for us and for the disciples, they could not complete the task that they were empowered to do. And we all have been empowered to do certain things in our life. We've all been tasked with talking with other people about the gospel. Contrary to what you may want to believe, that's not just my job. It is your job as well to talk to your neighbors, to talk to your coworkers, to talk to your families, to talk to random people. When the opportunity presents itself and God strikes that chord in your heart to say, hey, talk to them about church, talk to them about me, just talk to them, period. That is when it is our job because of the spirit that lives within us that we are empowered to talk and share our story. You don't have to know all the right answers. But I can tell you this. Your story is your story. And you know your story better than I know your story. And that person needs to hear your story. <clears throat> and the disciples were empowered to do that. In Matthew chapter 10, again, it says they were empowered to heal the sick. To cleanse the lepers. Raise the dead. 
and to cast out demons. And yet, they missed it. They saw this young epileptic boy listen to the father explain what was going on. And I listened to Gary Hamrick uh, on uh, Friday, maybe Saturday, I can't remember. And he, he was talking about, in his mind, he sees these disciples doing everything that they've seen Jesus do. Well, we, we watched him spit on somebody, so maybe that'll work. Well, oh, you know what? He did cover him in mud, so let's make some mud and cover this poor kid up. And none of these normal things were working. Because again, they failed to rely on God. Their unbelief, as Jesus called it, or called it, allowed them to not be able to perform what they were empowered to do. And we as individuals need to be mindful that there is the Spirit of God living in you if you are following Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you are empowered to live a life that will direct people Straight to Jesus. We are empowered to do that. You have that within you. And so many of us, including myself, stifle that all the time. We don't need to. If you believe that God loves you, that God resides within you because of your faith in Jesus... You have the power of the Spirit to do all that He calls you. As the disciples were standing in front of this group of people, you can sense the frustration, especially in Mark chapter 9. In Mark, you you hear all this stuff, all these conversations that were going on, and Jesus hearing all of these things kind of comes alongside. Actually, He comes to the scribes and says, hey, what's going on? He doesn't even hit that group yet. And the scribes explain to him what's happening. And then he addresses the entire group. But the frustrations are there. Why? Because so many times we get frustrated as believers when the expectations that we have placed on God to do certain things because we have faith in him and he owes us. These frustrations erupt because God just doesn't work that way. Will God grant us things? Absolutely. But I would say those things must be in line with the desires of his heart first. Will God go out of his way to do special stuff for us? Sure, I believe he can do that. And I believe he will do that for those that truly follow after him. But now here's the trick. We like that part. That's the part we all sign up for. I'm going to heaven and not hell. I get all the blessings of an heir to the throne. I get the spirit of God living within me. So therefore, I don't have to do anything else. I'm good. And God may say, yes, you are. Through my son, you are great. However, I'm going to allow some things in your life that's going to be a little tough. And our faith will be challenged Are we truly, fully surrendered to what he allows into our life? Can we trust him that much to believe that he will do what is best for us? That's a tough place, man. 
That's not easy. That is, that's difficult. Because we want to believe, because we are fed this line in society, that as long as you always do the right thing, only good things will happen to you. Please show me where that's at in here. There are some teachings that are really close to that. But it's teachings that have been misguided and mistaught to lead us to believe some things that we should not be buying into. Now, I'm not here to discourage you. I'm here to be real with you. We, as Christians in this world, in our nation, have gotten this this idea that God owes us something because we're a Christian nation. God owes us nothing. Everything that God wanted to give to us, he gave at the cross. Everything else is bonus. Everything else is just him being gracious to us. In fact, if anything, we owe him everything. So we, as believers, need to be careful with our expectations that we place on him because a lot of times they're misguided and those misguided expectations lead to frustration. And there's no doubt in my mind with many of you sitting in this sanctuary this morning, with some of you sitting at home, frustrated. You just can't understand why a loving God would allow your life to be in the position that it's in. Can I remind you real quick just of a couple of things? One, we live in an evil, fallen world, and tough stuff just happens. It's not God's fault. And number two, what if those things that are going on in your life are able to drive you closer to him? If that's the case, praise God, hallelujah. Our faith is not determined by the size of it. It's determined by what it's placed in. In and is placed in Christ. Jesus, and he's so good. He walks up and says, Well, I know the problem with this. I see the root cause of all this, and we generally only see the symptoms. Think about it. As a parent, when your kid is boogered up, you get all the symptoms. Amen? You get the grouchiness, you get the snipiness, you get the the ill, the the just they're just off their rocker. Until you get to the root problem, all of that's going to continue. All you're doing is fixing things that are coming from somewhere else. And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, and it's so good, he looks at this poor young man and he says, all those things that you guys are trying to treat, that you think are the right things, and you're, you're doing some good stuff, but you're missing the root issue. And can I just be bold enough to say real quick, I think that's the problem we as believers have in going to God and saying, will you look at my life and tell me what's up? Because all we want him to do is to fix this problem over here and to fix that person's attitude and to do this over here for me. But don't you dare change anything within me because I'm good. Jesus says, no. That person over there, that is just an interaction of your root problem. That thing that's going on over there, that's a cause from your root problem. That, that other thing, that's just a symptom of the root problem that I want to deal with if you'll let me. And folks, faith is not about just going to heaven. Faith is about full surrender to God, make me into who you created me to be. 
I give you permission. In Luke 16, 14 and 15, here's what happens here. Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard all these things and they derided him. He said to them, now this is the same guy that doesn't see the, or he sees the symptoms, but he really sees the root problem. And he's dealing with the Pharisees. And here's what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He says, you are those who justify yourselves before men. He's like, I see what you do. You make it sound good in front of all these other people. But God knows your hearts. I smile because I don't want to cry because that scares me and saddens me. Because I can put on a really good show in front of you. I can be the happiest person that I want to be. We all can. But the reality is, that's a symptom that God sees right through. I may fake every one of you out, but I will never, ever be able to fake him out because God knows my heart. And I love that he adds this. He says, for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Well, you've got to have big faith and, and be boisterous and loud about your faith and, and all of these things. Let those men see that. I would much rather live a spirit-filled life that God sees and knows my heart and my faith may be tiny, but it's placed in the right thing. Placed in him. I love how he addresses everyone publicly. He looks at him and says, faithless and perverse. Jesus never minces words, which again is probably another reason why we don't like to allow him to examine our hearts. I don't want to hear what he has to say. I know what's in there. Most of it anyway. He knows the other stuff. And I'd rather not know about that other stuff. I'll just deal with what I can deal with. Right? I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one like that. And to some degree, he's speaking directly to us. There's an avenue with all of this COVID, and I want to be very careful how I say this without making us feel a certain way. It is a real thing, but the amount of fear that was created from it, I'm not sure was warranted. Where, and I, I want to be so careful. This is not a judgment on our faith, but it should cause us to take a step back and say, where was my head? A couple of years back, probably about six years back, had a, a scare, started really getting concerned about my, my right leg, and, and, and I did the thing that I know that I should not do, but I started searching the internet to try to figure stuff out. And I was absolutely convinced that ALS was next for me. Terrified. Cried my eyes out. I was a mess until I went to him. And I said, okay. Once again, you put me in a spot that I'm not okay with, that I'm not excited about, that I'm sure I have without even the doctor's note yet. You got to help me out with this. 
You've got to straighten my thinking out. You've got to put me in a good place. He did. Not out of the woodworks, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I'm in a great place. Best place I've been in years. I went to him. Instead of me looking at all the symptoms and all the things out there, I allowed him to get into me and say, hey, 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 hey. What's this about? This is about me. Trust me. I got you. Yeah. If that comes, that'll be really bad, Alan. Man, that'll be tough. You're going to really have a hard time with that. But I'll be right there with you every step of the way. Just want to be in a place that when things hit, when things happen, I get to be human for just a, a, a moment. Allow my emotions to do what they do and to think through all the things that they think through. But I want to quickly get back to the place of I'm not living in that emotional reality. I am living in the reality that God has me. That takes time and effort and it's hard. But it is where we need to be. We should not be a faithless generation. And especially we should not be a perverse generation. We should not be a perverse generation. We as a follower of Christ, should be well above that. Surely I do not need to explain what that means or looks like. Hopefully we are all adults here, and when I say a perverse generation, our minds can take us in the direction that we know exactly what Jesus is talking about and to avoid it. Not what we want to be said of us. And his question, what else do I need to do? What else does Jesus need to do for you to convince you that he really is the way? What else does Jesus need to do to convince you that he really is for you and not against you? What else does Jesus need to do to convince you that these truths actually work? We don't know for sure, how long Jesus has been performing these miracles. My guess would probably be about a year, year and a half, maybe even two years now, that he's been doing all of these miracles. And he's looking at these same group of people, these same disciples, who are questioning the same things they've been questioning all their life. And he says, seriously, how much longer? At some point, folks, We as believers need to take that step of faith and move beyond the things that have boogered us up for years. What else does he need to do? What else does he need to say? What else do you need to experience to know that God absolutely loves and cares for you? The poor disciples do what we all should do. You know, sometimes I feel like I get a little too personal up here for you. Let you in on too much. And there's a lot that you don't know. That I go to the Lord privately and have one-on-ones with Him. Because that is where the most helpful conversation will take place. Because He knows me best. And they take Him privately and ask, what What happened? And it's a great reminder that he gives them of saying, well, it's, it's your unbelief. You, you missed it. You missed that opportunity. You failed to see really what was going on. And isn't it important for us 
to daily have a, a replay with him? Maybe, maybe it's at lunchtime and you replay the morning and you say, okay, God, replay in my mind all the things that I did well and replay in my mind the things that I need to go back and, and fix and replay in my mind the things that I just really botched up. You ever done that? Can I tell you? <laughs> Not always fun. Is there are things that he reminds me of. Listen, there's been things that I've said even in our team meetings that will bother me until I either call them or see them the next day and make it right. Is that true? All the time. What are we so scared of? Seriously. This is God. Your creator. The one whose spirit lives with inside you. Who knows you best. Who loves you most. Who wants the very best for you. And we are scared to go to him and say, I think I wasn't quite the way you wanted me to be today. Can you remind me and help me to know how not to do that again? For real. We are scared to death to ask those things. When he is sitting on the edge of his throne just waiting for us to ask that question because he wants to help. Here's Jesus' response. Love it. He's like, well, part of it's your unbelief. Part of it you really don't think that you'll hear from me. Part of it is you don't think it's really going to work. That's something we need to work on. That's that full surrender, full trust. He also says you don't need much faith for me to do great things. He says you only need faith of a mustard seed. (laughs) Now I've always read that and heard that preached in the idea of, well, if you can't move that mountain, then your faith is smaller than a mustard seed. You're horrible. That's how I've heard it in my head. But it says something different to me now. It says, Alan, you don't have to have this massively big faith. All you need is the smallest amount of faith and I will do great things. Again, it's not the size of your faith. It is what your faith is placed in that matters the most. And it's a good reminder of the strength of our enemy. Jesus says, hey, listen, this guy you're fighting against, he's good. He's strong. He's powerful. You have met your match. In fact, you're probably going to lose every time. But let me give you the secret to how to whip him. Prayer and fasting. There's, a, there's an element of dedication. There's an element of I am intentionally going to focus my effort to the Spirit of God in, um, in direct opposition to what is going on in my life not only for my life but for someone else's life that god will be able to intervene that's what's happening here and his response reminds us of our need for true humility you want a good book on humility we got one for you it is whipping us right now Andrew Murray is a great writer, but he is so mean. We all need humility. All of us. And to realize our soul dependency on him. I can do nothing apart from him. 
I can't do what I do without him. I can't be the dad I want to be without him. I can't be the husband I want to be without him. I can't be the the leader I want to be without him. I can't just be a human being the way that he created me to be without him. Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 12 says this. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Please silently read that again into yourself and tell me who is it referring to that we are having strength in. Yes. It does not say, finally, my brethren, be strong within yourself and in the power of your own might. It does not say that. Again, it reminds us that we need him. Our faith has to be in him. It is he who does these things through us and for us. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. If you never knew that there is a secret battle going on that you cannot see but absolutely feel and experience, welcome to Christianity. Because there is absolutely a battle raging. And we can't see it. And the only way we can battle it is through prayer and fasting. By willingly surrendering to a holy God so that he may fight for us. And in Mark chapter 9, here's the request by the dad. I told you we're going to come back to this and I'm almost done, I promise. He says this. I believe. I believe you. I know that you're Jesus. It's the reason I came. I believe that you are able to do the things that I've heard you do, that I've seen you do, and I know that I want you to do. I believe that, but oh, my unbelief. What a statement. It sounds kind of weird, does it not? Well, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Well, what if that I believe is, yes, spiritually, I believe that you are God. I get it. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for me. But humanly speaking, there are things that I struggle with that I just can't grasp. So help me make sense. Fill in the gaps. Help me understand what you're trying to do. But I know that you are the one that will help me make sense of it all. I love that statement. In fact, it should be a prayer of ours all the time. A recognition of, yes, I believe you are my Savior, but there are portions of this life that you have called me to I need your help with. I'm faltering in this area. I'm not quite believing this thing. Help me make sense of it all, but I trust you. And it's specific. His request at the beginning was specific. It was not for his son, or it was for his son, but from him. The requests that we have are generally specific, and we always pray for everybody else. But it really boils down to our faith and our trust in him. Our faith equals what we trust in. And we should know and believe beyond a shadow of a doubt and trust that God knows us best and will lead us in the direction that he can. He's going to fill in those gaps. Maybe not all the gaps, <clears throat> can you be okay with that? Not be all the gaps that you're looking for, but it will be all the gaps needed for you to continue moving forward in your journey.
We need to get rid of these expectations of what we think we need or what we think we're entitled to and fully surrender to a holy God who knows us best and will give us what we need when we need it. I don't even like that one. It's hard for us, is it not? I can't do that on my own. Hard for me to be content on my own. Hard for me to be satisfied when I get something new because there's another thing out there that's a little bit better. Help me to be content in this world and in my spiritual life with whatever you allow. I want you to listen to this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. What a glorious reminder that even when we get to the place where we don't even know what to pray for, there's someone praying on our behalf and it is the Spirit. He knows what you need more than you do. And he is entreating on your behalf to the Father. Just like this Father was for his son. But it goes on. He says, Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, the Spirit that's praying for you to God on your behalf knows you better than anybody else. And he is making the specific request specifically for you for God to specifically do what he needs to do in your life. But watch this, because this is a hard one for us. And we know that all things, does that leave anything out? But we want to just assume that it's all the good stuff. He uses the bad too, the tough, the hard, those impasses that we get to. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Those that are the called according to his purpose is anyone who has accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, who has willingly surrendered their life to him in faith, knowing that Jesus was the payment for their sins. Those are the called. The purpose was that all would come to repentance and that none should be eternally separated from God. God wants to use everything in our lives for our good. Do you know what it requires us to do? Surrender. Faith, fully surrendering to whatever God has in front of us. And it may require us to simply say to him, I believe in you, but I'm not quite sure about this. Help me with that. As the praise team comes, let me give you some questions to ponder on this week. Am I busy doing what I've always done or am I listening to and following the Spirit of God? The disciples were doing just what they've always done. This is what he empowered me to do, this is what I'm going to keep doing because this is what I've always done and it's always worked. But Jesus comes along and says, actually, that one quite didn't work. You've got to do it this way. And my question to us as believers this morning is this. Am I so content and busy in doing what I've always done that I'm failing to listen and hear from God as he may direct me in a different direction? Here's the second question. 
Am I willing to do a daily replay with God? Am I courageous enough to say, okay, God, here's my day. You have free reign to go in and pick it apart. Now, here's what's interesting about that. He may not pull out any interaction at all, but deal solely with you internally the entire time. Remember that thought you had? Remember that bad attitude you showed? Remember that seed of doubt that crept in? Maybe that bitterness that you experienced? Sometimes the things that go on out here are symptoms of what's really going on in here. And here's the third question. Do I come to God with preconceived expectations? Here's what I want. You better do it because you owe me. Maybe not that extreme. But that's probably how it comes across. Or am I willing to be content with the good that he allows? And again, that good can be anything. Because he uses all things together for our good. As always, the altars will be open. I know they look like just a bunch of stairs, but this is your opportunity to come and kneel before a holy God and surrender your life, surrender whatever it is that's going on and just have an honest conversation with him. You can do it right in your seat. You can come grab me. We'll go talk. But work through these questions. Give the Spirit of God a true chance to work through your heart. May we all get to the place that our faith is just a full surrender to him and everything that we do. Let's pray. God, thank you.